Listener Production. On today's episode of Footy Talk, Operation Free the Bras was a success and Braden Maynard will play in a prelim final next weekend. Nathan Jones joins me in studio to dissect the tribunal findings and all things D's ahead of a massive semi-final on Friday night. Max's leadership, the most important demon in September and then Ethan Meldrum jumps in with his three stats for the week. That's all coming up on Footy Talk. Welcome back to Footy Talk, your daily dose of footy with all the latest news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. Abby Holmes here for your hump day and in studio 302 game. Melbourne legend Nathan Jones joins us. Jonesy, always great to see you in studio. Yeah, thanks, Ab. Nice to be back. Operation Free the Bruz. Successful last night. We have to talk about this off the top as well, but the case went longer than the game itself. Four (laughs) hours at the tribunal last night and he is free to play in Collingwood's prelim next weekend. Yeah, look, I think um, ultimately uh, if I'd throw my opinion into the ring. Um, I think it was the right call. Um, just from assessing the action itself, I, I feel watching it, particularly in real time yeah. from sort of the broadcast angle, I felt felt like he legitimately tried to, um, you know, smother the footy. And as uh, all, you know, players are taught in the modern game, you know, press up quickly and, mm-hmm. um, you know, put pressure on, on the footy. You know, I think hopefully uh, out of this, yeah, we've obviously the AFL sort of set its standard with the with the incident itself, and um, and on the other side of the coin that you know Gussie recovers as strong as ever, and mm. um, fingers crossed if Melbourne are able to push through and make it to a prelim that he's um, he recovers well enough and be to be right to play. What's he said to you? He's out there running yesterday, which is great to see. He's recovering well. Um, yeah, it's um. Oh, I, I just called him just to check in, knowing, yeah. um, you know, uh, I was somewhat of a mentor, big brother type to him when he first started. I still remember picking him up on his first day. <laughs> so we have this kind of awesome, bigger, uh, older mm. brother, younger brother kind of relationship. So I sort of just chatted to him on the phone, just checking in first and foremost yeah. how he was, just knowing his history. You know, I lived it alongside him back in 2016, 17, when, you know, it was a sort of four knocks in 12 months. And I think he ended up missing sort of three months of footy at one point. Um, and you always sort of go back to that. Uh, he's been super lucky since then, obviously donning the helmet, hadn't copped a hit until what we saw last week. Yeah. And um, I think it was obviously in sort of an awkward and unfortunate accident that occurred, but uh, ultimately it was just checking in on him and he was relatively positive. You know, he's uh, obviously seen a hell of a lot of specialists with what happened previously. So it was sort of going back through that process of, you know, there's all these, um, I guess, tests and scans that he could do far and beyond what is just the standard testing Mm. in the AFL just because of his history. And um, I think that was uh, progressing quite positively. And yeah, as uh, as I said before, you know, everyone had sort of seen that he'd he'd made it out onto the track yesterday and had a run, and um, you know, his his sort of feedback to me was he was feeling good, and and generally that's a really positive sign on the in the early days of recovery after concussion. Hundred percent. Question is now, will the AFL appeal? And my opinion is. If they do that, they're making a little bit of a, a mockery of the entire system, aren't they? So they're effectively overriding Michael Christian. They're overriding the tribunal. So do you think they'll just let it fly now or, or do you think that, that we might see an appeal? Uh, I would like to see it not appeal. Yep, I think I think the um, forensic analysis of the entire situation, obviously there's a hell of a lot of emotion attached to it for many different reasons. 
Um, but I feel like it was handled um, efficiently and effectively. Obviously, as I said, it, it sort of came to the decision that it was, and uh, I think it was the right call. I think, as you said, it would um, it'd be kind of unjust, and it would certainly go against a hell of a lot of firstly and foremost people and um, the process and the system that's yeah. currently in place. And I think it would just add a hell of a lot of grey area to the okay. to a situation that has already had a hell of a lot of grey area. So for mine, I think it, it got to the right result yeah. and I'd like to see them just back in that system and trust it. Well, let's get on to your Ds because they've got a massive game this Friday night against Carlton. I cannot wait for this one. <laughs> but Goody was very vocal after the incident with Maynard last week. But heading into a new week, a new game, uh, a do-or-die clash with the Blues – how does he kind of park any external noise and really get the boys to focus on the job at hand? Um, oh, Goody is um, is really good at being able to kind of control the emotional state of the group, and obviously the emotions were high after the game. You know, they didn't get the result they're after, and you know he's um, sort of flown the flag for one of his key players, who's obviously um, sort of facing an uncertain future with obviously the head knock from the situation, but. I would have thought since then, you know, the first 24 hours is just maybe wallow in that a little bit, just yeah. um, let some of those sort of negative and, um, you know, disappointed kind of feelings sink in. Uh, and I dare say, you know, following the game was would be to quickly move on from it. Mm. There was a hell of a lot of positives, to be honest. Like you look at the stat sheet. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you hear sort of what Max says, you know, it's very Melbourne-like loss. But ultimately, you know, they – other than from a conversion perspective, they're actually playing really strong footy. You know, they dominated territory, they win clearance, win contests. Like that's that's a very much a Melbourne brand game. You know, I think tweaking a few bits and pieces and and um and they can and if they can get that kind of connection, which you know, um it's sort of it's it's so close yet so far. Like yeah. that that tweaking is like it may be a one percent, but um it, it would make the difference between a win and a loss. Mm. But um, so I think he'd be drawing on all of those positives irrespective of the result. And, you know, he's, he's super good at sort of storytelling. So I don't know what the theme would be, but I guarantee that he'd be drawing on some element of a theme, whether that's been consistent across the year or he drills it up for, for this week in itself. But, you know, um, I think the players would be feeling pretty positive about it. Mm. And what he is very good at is providing solutions. Melbourne's environment has been built off the back of the coaching group in particular, providing solutions to the playing group. So, you know, then that's to try and eliminate the emotion of win-loss, right? When you win, there's huge high. When you lose, real, you know, down in the dumps kind of thing. And and, um, the focus has always been on sort of winning and learning. So they celebrate and then they get on with it. And uh, and if they lose, they they need to learn from it, have really clear – strategy in terms of what's next and um, and then get on with uh, resetting and, and trying <laughs> to implement that this week. So it'll be hard not to get motivated. There's probably going to be 95,000 oh, people there on Friday night. Um, so for the players, it's just another opportunity to do what you dream of. And um, irrespective of the score last week, their game is actually in pretty good shape. Yeah. Maxi Gorn, a broken toe. I think he's of the <laughs> mindset he's got nine others. He'll be right. He'll get through. It's certainly not going to affect him playing in a semi final this weekend. But he spoke actually, uh, Max Gorn, on how he games about his development into the leader that he is under the guidance of Jimmy Stein. So let's take a listen at what Maxie had to say. Jim Steins did like a big welcome to parents. Uh, there was about 100 people in the room parents, staff, admin staff. 
Um, and you just think that they're going to talk about Scully and Trengrove. We've got to pick one and two. Like that's, I don't think that's ever happened for most other clubs, one and two in the that same draft. That's extraordinary. Um, and Steinsy made me stand up in front of everyone and goes, I don't care about the other people in the room. I, I think this guy. He made me stand up. It was really embarrassing. And he goes, you're going to do things differently, and it's got me excited. My hand, he hasn't even met me, and he knows I'm going to do things differently. And then throughout my first couple of years when I was having all sorts of issues with professionalism and um, trying to find out the person I wanted to be, he was like this mentor behind me going, it's okay, just be you. Max Gorn, of course, as we know, goes on to captain the Melbourne Footy Club and he's one of the best players in the competition. But what was it, do you think, that Jim Stein saw in this young lad as he walked through the doors of the Melbourne Footy Club? I think Jim had this innate ability, obviously, through all the stuff that he's done with Reach, working with youth, in particular, probably, you know, boys and girls or men and women the same age as Max, probably, when he rolled up at the club. And he's probably just seen something in him. And he's right, he, he certainly was going to do things differently. So it was probably those first few interactions, he recognises that. Um, and he sort of had this larger-than-life presence, but I don't reckon he realised it early days. Um, he was kind of strange and awkward and weird <laughs> in, um, in, this, in, in his own kind of way. But I think with, as Max touched on, I think with the guidance of Jim, just encouraging him to be himself and continue to sort of grow into his his shoes and and once he started to feel comfortable with who he was and you know developed a confidence in you know the man that he wanted to be and then the player he wanted to be and then ultimately the leader that he became yeah he he obviously went about it his own way he touched on a few of the issues he had early days which I still find bloody funny but without the guidance of Jim maybe Max sort of falls by the wayside but I think that encouragement just allowed him to build confidence in himself and um and I think re- ultimately the rest is hitch- history, really, because he, he certainly did do that, and yeah. um, and now we're seeing, you know, uh, that can come to complete fruition. But I think the ability for Jim to have noticed that yeah. when he rolled up as an eighteen-year-old, it's um, I think that's just an innate um, sort of connection piece that he really understood people. Give us an example of young, weird Max Gorn. <laughs> Come on, take oh, us within the walls. You can't just catch him like you and I would be having a conversation here at lunch and he'd be, he wouldn't be involved. He'd be over there in the corner just weirdly <laughs> staring at both of us. It was so strange and you'd catch, it, catch his eye and you'd almost be like, what's up? And he just would be mute. It's like the creepy thin man. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly how it is. And, um, and that's how he was, but... Yeah, I think, as I said, yeah, he sort of grew into, he sort of embraced that weirdness and the strangeness, I think, off the back of the encouragement of Jim and and what he did, he obviously became, I guess, a little bit more outgoing and the weirdness (laughs) and the strange kind of um, mannerisms that he sort of had actually became quite entertaining and, you know, the progression from where he was, like this awkward and sort of uncomfortable young gangly giant (laughs) then became like the class clown and the center of attention and and with him opening up and gaining confidence in himself that just built this amazing sort of connection amongst the playing group like it's always those guys that you're drawn to right the people Mm. that make you happy and laugh and they're fun to be around and that was him and then he had this amazing transition of being able to uh, develop Obviously, he had this ability to compete and train hard and he built those skills up over time. And you couple that with his ability to be able to connect with the playing group and Mm. build relationships and friendships. 
and that's what made him then the a terrific leader because he was able to find that balance. Yeah. And um and he could relate to anyone whether it was the lowest player on the list or the most extreme mm. highest um highest recognized player on the list. And the same as with any sort of staff member or or um fan or member of the footy club, he was just so relatable. Mm. And then he, yeah, as I said, he sort of developed that that leadership quality where he was able to harness both. Um, he was able to have the compassion and the empathy for people, yeah. but then really drive high standards and, and um, inspire yeah. people. Well, you, of course, handballed the captaincy to Maxi, and he went on to say this about you. You've described where you've come from and, that you know, you're having a smoke and leadership meetings. <laughs> then, then you become captain. So when you walked in to become captain the first time, do you think oh, I have to be a certain way? Am I just going to be what Jim told me to be, be myself? How have you approached leadership? Because it's a big group of people. You know, there's 40 odd blokes, as you said, from all these different places and experiences and cultures. And then you're the man. How have you gone about that? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was leadership group. And congratulations on the job because every player you speak to loves playing under you. Thank you. Uh, leadership group 2016, um, which uh, wasn't, it was a surprise. I used to always get told by Nathan Jones, you'll lead this club one day. And this is like back 2012. Like I'm like, yeah, righty-o, Chunk. Come on. <laughs> um, but it was, I had, um, I was getting more and more extroverted, more and more comfortable with myself. Um, and uh, people followed me for sometimes not by my choice, like sometimes bad. Um, but I had that natural um, lead. There you go. Yeah, well, I th- like I was sort of touching on before, people were just drawn to him. Yeah. Um, and then when he realised the impact and influence he could have on people, and that's what I noticed, like, and they're, they're as a, when I was captain, like, they're mm. the people you want on your side, right? Like, um, you can't necessarily influence and impact all 44 people and have that kind of connection relationship with everyone. Yeah. But he had a majority of people that admired him. Yeah. I, I, I just want to ask you a question on that 2021 year because obviously, you know, we know what you went through during that and, and of course, Jerry, your beautiful wife, wife was about to give birth to twins so that, that turned, I guess, a sad situation into a very happy time for you in your life. But how did, I'm, I, I'm sure Max played a pretty big role in that as well and you probably lent on him quite heavily during, during that final series. Yeah, for sure. I think... Um Oh, like he, he was always supportive of me, um, encouraging me, I guess in some way giving me some sort of backdoor information of where things sat, yep. um, just so I could get an understanding of what my position was. And I was pretty clear on that when I went over to Perth, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was basically next man in and it's just the way the cookie crumbles, um, the D's were on a roll, no injuries and they went all the way and won the premiership. So for me, it's, that's just, um... You know, you sort of, you win some, you lose it's some. Footy. Right place, wrong time, that's footy. Yeah. Um, but Max was always, you know, in my corner, always felt like that. Um, and, you know, you go back a few uh, few years earlier and like he said, I was, I was always in his corner. Mm. Um, you know, we have a great friendship, relationship. You know, it was fun being there a couple of weeks ago when he played his 200th game. Yeah. I sat in the box and <laughs> went and had a few beers after at his wine bar and, um but yeah, like he's an he's an incredible leader, and it's to have been um, sort of a small part of his journey and see where he started to where he's come from. Like mm. I think that's for me. That's when you look at it all laid out. It's um, yeah, it's a pretty awesome story. Um, you know, maybe 
bar Jimmy Steins, no one would have seen it when he started as an 18-year-old. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's made of the right stuff and he's just had this amazing ability to be able to listen and act on feedback and continue to grow and develop. And he's got this awesome, you know, he as you know, he's, a, he's a larrikin and people love him and are connected to him. But deep down, he's this incredible competitor yeah. and he wants to win. And I think that's what makes a difference. Oh, we love Maxi Gorn. As a broadcaster as well, he's always one of my favourite chats. <laughs> if he's dominated, I'm going straight to oh, Maxi yeah, Gorn. He gives you plenty. He absolutely does. Before we take a break and then get into some of the other footy news, I just want to ask you, who is the most important demon heading into this weekend? I would have said Max, but he couldn't have played much better nah. last week. Uh, I think it's really some of those sort of unsung guys, like they're going to need someone to stand up. Um, I was just saying this ex- exactly right. It's um, like well, you know what you're going to get from Max Gorn, your midfield, your, your backman, yeah. but it is. It's someone like a Bailey Fritch yeah, or well, somebody's going like to kick up, you know, step up. or, you know, is it Tommy McDonald, you know, potentially, I don't know what way they go. Do they bring Grundy in? But yeah. is it someone like a Grundy? Like they're, that would be they're going story. back to the well with guys that they've tried before and it hasn't necessarily been their best look, but they don't mm-hmm. have any other options. So for me it's... It's one of those few guys up forward, as well as the smalls. And there's a contributing factor in terms of the way they move the footy and can they take it off the line a little bit more instead of just banging it in to give them more opportunity. But one of those forwards is going to have to stand up and and in particular convert. Like they had enough shots last week, but they missed so many sitters in particularly from set shots. So, yeah, yeah, you know, Frida's done it before in a grand final. I dare say he's probably the one. Six and a granny. Wasn't yeah. a bad effort, was it? Hey, good start by you. We've got to take a break. You are listening to Footy Talk. If you're listening on Apple, you know what to do. Hit the bell. Welcome back to Footy Talk, daily dose of footy with all the latest news, interviews and analysis from the world of AFL. Nathan joins, continuing to join us here in studio, but Ethan Meldrum has popped in. Ethan, great to see you. Good to see you. The world's most frequent fly, Abby. Oh, good, and good, good to see you too, Jonesy. Thanks, mate. It's out of control, isn't it? Hey, before we get into your stats, Jack Martin's ban has been reduced from two to one with that hit on Nick Blakey. And also, Jay Clark reporting this morning that the AFL will schedule Collingwood for their prelim final on Friday night and Brisbane for Saturday. That's tough, isn't it, for the winner of Port GWS who face a six-day turnaround into a prelim? Absolutely. <laughs> I'd be flat about it for sure. Do they have another choice? Well, couldn't, couldn't you swap them? You could you? Well, speaking of frequent flying, like, would they be able to get out of, like, with it? Port Adelaide or GWS? Like, let's say the Giants win on Saturday because they've got a night game. Are they able to get out no. of Adelaide on I Saturday night? No. Airport shut at yeah, night? they've got curfew, Adelaide Airport. So they're flying out Sunday, Sunday. flying mm. into Melbourne Thursday. Do they get a proper weekend? Nah. Not, not really. Prelim, no, yeah. They'd probably only train once. No, that's and it. it'd be... A, a half a session. Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a shocking little setup of the Giants get up this weekend. <laughs> Things that we do, hey? I'm sure they'll play anywhere, anytime, anyone. Ethan, They've three stats. That, they have, haven't they? Was it 12, 13 11 venues? wins on the road. Yes. Like won- at different venues. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a stat before I even have one. They've won at 11 venues, the most any team's won at in any single Crazy. year. Tom Green calling it free smoke wherever you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Giants just firing on social media as always. Um I want to start with that game. Um, a shout out to someone who will be playing in that game, um, who I think has flown under the radar just very quickly. Ollie Lord only played twelve games, so I'll give you time to sort of Google who he is. Kicked four goals he was on. So good. He was so good. Kicked four goals on Harris Andrews. Mm. Here's a 
like that hasn't happened many times to Harris Andrews. Um, Liam Flanagan on commentary on Saturday and I asked me the question and it threw me how few people have done that to Harris Andrews, who was in all Australian contention this year. Mm. We're talking Tom Hawkins has done it twice. Tom Lynch, Jack Revolt, Harry Mackay, former teammate of yours, Ben Brown, Josh Kennedy, Joe Danaher. So quality yeah, experienced players. Yep, yeah, Mitch Lewis and Kyle Hooker. That's it. Yeah. Harris Andrews played 184 games and Ollie Lord has added himself to that list. I think he deserves a shout out. Absolutely. And, and he's very and agile. He's agile for a big fella too. Mm. But I spoke to Kenny Hinckley at halftime about how well he was doing and what he was producing in their forward line. But as you just touched on, it is so crucial for those forwards to keep Harris Andrews busy at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing. Like the score is one thing, but his ability to continue to keep him isolated and keep him engaged, Mm. like that's all... You know, any forward line group is trying to do, particularly with a player like that that wants to drop and intercept and they've got other guys that do that, keeping them accountable and keeping them isolated is the key to try and break them down. Yeah, absolutely. Harris Andrews hadn't lost a one-on-one contest for 10 weeks until Saturday night, so it's really impressive by him. Flip side, talking about defenders, for Port Adelaide, I want to get a tip from you, Jonesy, on this game. Their defence really worrying me at the moment. So champion data keep a stat called defensive efficiency. So, you know, Collingwood's up the top, St Kilda is up the top, Melbourne's up the top for how many points they concede versus time in zone, essentially, time in their back half. Port Adelaide ranks 17th in the competition. Only West Coast is worse than Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide concede the second most scores versus time in defensive half this season. I think that's alarm bells for the for Port Adelaide and, you know, a good news for the Giants who are scoring mm. a lot of points. Who do you think gets up? I actually think GWS. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've really loved their form. They've built, seen them a couple of times throughout the year. I think their profile in terms of the way they play, you know, contest, territory, forward half turnover, like that's going to put a lot, a hell of a lot of pressure on Port, um, particularly in the space you were just talking about then, if they can own mm. own the footy in their forward half, which is what they did you know, a lot of the time against the Saints, you know, so the battle particularly to win territory from contest and clearance is going to be huge. But, yeah, I just like – I like the run they're on. I, I like the vibe and the energy that they give out. I, th- I think they can get it done. I think Port's, yeah, pretty banged up as well after last week as yes. we saw Trent McKenzie with that ankle. Tommy Jonas, how bad is this? Two minutes of their, their final session before last weekend. Did his calf. Williams <sighs> with that hammy as well. But while we're on GWS, I just want to touch on – Toby Bedford, what a season he is having. Of course, an ex-teammate of yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was my boy, Tobe. So they I let loved, him go. I loved him. Yeah, I know. Um, it's a good story, though, the oh, it's fact a great that he's story. coming out I and think now it, playing I think he semi. needed to make that decision. When you looked at the depth of the type of player that um, he is and Melbourne had, you know, there's probably five or six guys that yeah. you know he was potentially fighting against, maybe sort of third in line at, at different points of time. Um, sort of didn't get his opportunity the year after the granny being the medical sub a handful of times, mm. you know, takes his chance and goes somewhere else and just plays a role terrifically well. Yeah. And he's got some awesome attributes. He's put a hell of a lot of time into, you know, I guess maybe some of his areas that he needed to improve and he's become a really rounded little player and contributor and making a significant impact in that Giants forward line. Yeah, so last year, 16 games, he was the medical sub eight times, completely unused. The other eight games, he kicked nine goals, two of those he was subbed on. So whenever he had the chance at the Ds, he always showed up and he always bobbed up and kicked goals. So I'm glad to see him doing well, Jonesy. Yeah, mate. He's got some, um, like I said, awesome speed. He's got terrific endurance. 
He loves to compete, chase, mm. tackle, which is gold from those small forwards. And then now, like I said, he's worked a hell of a lot on his kicking and conversion and you don't get many opportunities playing in the role that he, he plays in. You've got to take them when you get the chance and he's absolutely doing that. Absolutely. Speaking of Melbourne forwards, got to talk about Thursday night and some of those shocking numbers Ew. going forward for the Ds. We all know about the inside 50 <laughs> differential. So it's the first loss by a team with an inside 50 differential of 32 or more since 2017. And it came in a qualifying final. Teams to go plus 32 this year were 6-0 and with an average winning margin of 89 points. Granted, a lot of those were against West Coast. So that kind of skews the numbers a little bit. So if they're 57 kicks inside 50, 38 of them were bombed inside 50. So they weren't actually targeting anyone. Only 19 went to a target, like specifically to one player. And only two of those 19 resulted in a goal. Where where does Melbourne mm. fix this sort How of... How do they clean that oh, up? You've just answered the question. Um, well, that's that's obviously the issue. Um, mm. I think there's an element of just, uh, you know, a little bit more composure in the heat of the moment. It's easy for us to dissect... Yes. and watch on the television um, and or be at the game. But there's just – then that's the subtle adjustment I was saying earlier mm. in the show, you know, you, it's uh, – you're so close yet you're so far because it's, you know, to teach that and develop that in you know, a click of a finger is uh, – it's not that easy. But I think they've got the capability to do that and really it's ultimately just being able to shift the footy off the line a little bit. Um, so rather than sort of – you know, ball comes out and you just dump it straight back in. Mm. It'd be great to see them sort of work the arc, try and get it on the outside. And it doesn't need to be switched from one side of the ground to the other. It can be as subtle as, you know, 25 metre kick that just changes the angle, mm. which opens up space and options in the forward line and then trying to direct the footy more so to a player specifically rather than just sending it in. Well, speaking of specific players, this is a catch-22, yes, but Melbourne's forward line looked elite when they threw Christian Petrarca inside oh, yeah. 50. Catch 22, you want him around the, the footy. He is an absolute bull in the contest. But that, for me, is when things clicked for Melbourne, was when Christian Petrarca yeah. was kicking four. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree at all. And I dare say that would have been part of the planning last week, but you lose Brayshaw in the first, yeah. what, two minutes? Yeah. And then that depth and experience, you know, you've got to then go rely on a sparrow um, rather than you know, a Brayshaw, mm. which there's an element of difference there just from an experience point of view to execute and deliver to the level that they need. So they have to just go chips in with track and, and Clayton around the footy. But I, uh, you know, if it was me picking the team this week, that's probably what I'd do is yeah. trust some of those other guys and I'd play track. Love that I, I, I still wouldn't go back to the well as much. You know, you've got Fritch, Tommy McDonald. I think you bring in Grundy, you then become too tall and cumbersome. For me, it's I think you've got to have to take the punt, play track 50-50, 60-40 as a forward mm. and back in the depth of that midfield group to get the job done. So even with Maxi's toe injury, you still don't think that they'll bring Grundy in I just, to balance I, that load? I, just, like, I haven't liked that look all year yeah. and I, I think I, – I think we they got the answer they were finding when they tested it and they then they, you know, Granny went out of the team, they brought him back in, still didn't work mm. as much as they wanted. I, I don't think you go back to the well in that um, situation or that scenario for, for this week's game. Like, it's do or die and I feel like they'd be better off generating pressure and backing in some of those, you know, smaller, more experienced players. I think using track forward. Yeah. 
you know, Track Clary and Max can't play much better. Like I'm saying, I think the 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 gap for them to improve, they weren't too far off from winning against the Pies. The, it's a, really a conversion thing and that execution inside 50, I think that forward line group can kick a, sco- a winning score if they can make that subtle adjustment. I cannot wait for these games, Eth. Friday night as well. The Ds will not want to go out in straight sets. No, and, and Carlton will want to make a oh. prelim and both teams are about as in form as you can get. Yeah, so. like, and, and that's the, the challenge is going to be the other part of that is Carlton are an incredible stoppage team yeah. with a lot of depth. Yep. If you take and tra- you take yeah. Petrarca out, you know how does that affect Melbourne's ability to compete with them in that phase of the game? Because mm. then you win clearance, you win territory. It's just like I think the matchup's brilliant, and it's um, can't come at a better time. And it'll be, I think it'll go right to the wire. Yeah, interesting. I like that. 95,000 at the MCG on Friday night. Will you be there? I'll be there. You'll be there? Will you be there? I will absolutely be there. Oh, I love that. Good work, guys. Wednesday's edition of Footy Talk is wrapping up. If you have a question for us, get us on Instagram at footytalk underscore pod or at TikTok at footytalkpod. Daisy Thomas in the chair tomorrow and he'll have Jack Crisp. See you then. Listener.